Well, everybody, we did it. We are at the end of our series on the books of the Bible. We've come from the Pentateuch a few months ago all the way through the, to the epistles last week with Tim. And today we have come to the book of Revelation, um, that easy book, that old chestnut. We're going to unpack, we're going to pick out some things, and um, we're going to have some fun with it. I'm excited. I'm excited to dive into this book, which many of us uh, see as mysterious or scary or just unknown and untouched. Uh, we're going to pack out some things or unpack some things that I believe is going to bless us this afternoon or this morning, whenever you're watching. And it's the bow on the gift of the series. It's uh, the final course, uh, if you will. And, uh, you know, we've explored all, all sorts from lament to the prophets, uh, from living by a promise or to, to the power of the, the new covenant. And if you missed any of the weeks, I def- definitely encourage you to go back and watch those because uh, I know it'll bless you. There's lots of gold in those videos, in those preaches. And so if you missed anything, go back to that gold because there's uh, gold in them there hills. And, um, you know, it is gold. It is precious. The Bible is precious and it's worth so much to us. As believers, we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's profitable so that it says that we will be complete and equipped. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's alive and fresh every single day. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It gives me clarity when I read the word and security as I walk through life. Matthew 4.4 says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As believers, his word is life to us. Jesus said to the Jews in John 8.31, who had believed him, if you believe, Abide in my word, you are my true disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are true disciples if we remain in his word. And there's freedom in his word. There's freedom as we go through the Bible, as we take in his living and active word. And I'm so grateful for the Bible. I'm so grateful for the book that we can hold in our hands, a book that speaks to me of Jesus, a book that speaks to me of his grace, a book that speaks to me of his great purpose. Not only does it speak to me of the Christ that was to come into the world, but it reveals to me why he came. And it goes beyond just saving men and women like you and me. It goes beyond just forgiving sins. It goes right into the eternities of God where Jesus will sit at the right hand of the Father and bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Amen. And so today we're at our last stop. We arrive at the last stop in our train station journey of the books of the Bible at Revelation. In Revelation, it was written by John the Apostle somewhere around 90 to 96 AD. At the time, he was in exile and in prison on the Isle of Patmos. 
And it was the last book written um, that we find in the Bible. It wasn't only the last book that we find in the Bible, it was actually the last book or letter written out of all the books. So it's fitting that it's right at the end. And we're just going to go through some sort of popcorn points and then we're going to dig into some nitty gritty stuff um, because there's just so much in this, um, like with every week, that we can't dive into everything that this book has to offer. But I believe that you know, some of the points that we're going to look at today are going to bless us. So, Father, we ask that you're with us. We ask, Lord, that you speak to us clearly. And ultimately, Father, we ask, Lord, that you give us visions of yourself, that we would see you clearly, Jesus, in the book of Revelation as we open your word. I ask, Lord, that faith would arise in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. The first point is this. It's an apocalypse. Revelation actually comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, uh, which simply means the unveiling. It's taking the cover off. And it's supposed to be a removal of a veil so that we can see clearly. Um, It gives us a hint here that it's not meant to be scary. It's not meant to be frightening. It's not meant to be uh, confusing. It's meant to be the removal of a veil so that we can see clearly. And the first recipients of this book would have understood that without recourse to the morning news. Um, they would have understood that without studying politics. They, they would have understood that and it would have been relevant and meaningful to them in their time. It's, a, it's an apocalypse. It's an unveiling. It's a taking the cover off and showing us more of who Jesus is and his ultimate intention and that he's coming back victorious. But we'll get into that more. I get too excited about that point. So we'll get into that more a little bit later. It's a prophecy. It tells us right at the beginning that we are to hear and respond to the words of this prophecy. In Revelation 1.3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. This, this makes it really unique in the New Testament, as it's, as it's the only prophetic book. The rest of the prophetic books we find in the prophets, and the prophets that we discover are all in the Old Testament. This book is a prophecy and it's a revelation and it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 1.1, it says right at the very beginning of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the dragon. It's not a revelation of the beast. It's not a revelation of the false prophet. It's not a revelation of the rapture. It's not a revelation of World War III. It's a revelation of Jesus. The book is all about Jesus. He's the main message. It's super important that we understand that when we're approaching Revelation. It's because it's not here to give us nightmares. It's here to give us comfort and hope because it's all about Jesus. It definitely deals with a lot of other things, but, but the focus is Jesus. All of those other things are peripheral. The primary theme in the book of Revelation is Jesus. And for a lot of us, that will be you know, mind-bending, mind-shifting, because we grew up being taught that it's about all those other things. It's about the rapture. It's about the end times. And some of those things are covered, but those are all surrounding the main focus, and his name is Jesus. It was written to comfort the people of God, not to frighten us. And so I'd venture to say it's a devotional book. Reading the book should cause our hearts to burst in adoration to God. 
Reading the book of Revelation should excite us because of the portraits that it paints of Jesus. Nowhere else in the New Testament do we get the dramatic and awesome pictures of Christ that we find here in this book. In the very first chapter, it begins with a vision of Jesus, which is heartwarming. It's soul-stirring. Soul it's awesome in its magnitude. In Revelation 1.12, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And this is John writing, remember. And it says, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, this is Jesus, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. His hairs of his head, the hairs of his head were white as snow, like white wool. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of mighty waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades." What an awesome picture of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an awesome picture of the Savior that you and I serve. In chapter 19, we get another look at the triumphant Christ. In verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one who is sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And righteous, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flame of fire, and, his head, and on his head were many diadems. And his name and, and 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 he was and he has a name written like no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is an amazing picture of Jesus. The awe it produces, the wonder. Jesus is truly awesome. Revelation is all about Jesus. And it's a very devotional book. Jesus is truly worthy of all our worship and all our adoration. When I read this and I read the portraits that I find that Revelation paints for us, it, it causes my heart to soar and, and swell in love for my King. It's a humbling book. When I read the descriptions, I realize that really I'm nothing and He's everything. That it's right to worship Him, to give our lives to Him, to live only to please Him. It realigns me to what it's all about. And not to kid ourselves thinking that, it's, it, that everything is to do with us, that, it's, that everything is... It's to do with Him. It's all about Him. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created through Him and by Him and for Him. Everything revolves around Him. He is at the center of all things. He is on the throne in heaven. It is all about Jesus. We realize that there is no other that deserves all honor, all power, all authority, holy, anointed, 
just, true, faithful, loving, amazing. Yes, he's my friend. Yes, he's my father. But let's not be fooled. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe. And a holy fear of the Lord should rise in us as we read about him here. You know, the fear of the Lord, it says in Proverbs, is the beginning of all understanding. It's not a, it's not a frightful fear. It's not a fear of spiders or a fear of, like, afraid of the dark that we have when we're children. It's a holy fear. It's a reverent fear. It's a fear that, that causes me to take my shoes off because I'm standing on holy ground when I'm approaching the one who died for me and who deserves it all, who wears the crown, and who is above all principalities and powers, who's won, who's victorious, who's crushed Satan under his feet. Revelation causes my heart to worship again. It causes me to understand the fear of the Lord in a fresh way. And, and, and as a church, we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about the holiness of the Lord we don't talk about the reverence that he deserves enough. The worship and the adoration are whole lives that should be laid down at his feet because he is worthy. It says John fell as though dead when he saw Jesus. This was the disciple that was as closest to him. The one who rested his head on Jesus' chest. He fell as though dead when he saw him. This is a man who saw him each and every day as friend as one who he ate with. And all that's right, all that's true, all that we believe in is, is, is who he is. But we can't miss the fact that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings like John did here where he fell as though dead. And obviously he reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him up and said, do not be afraid. But there is a, there is a glory to his name. This is a, a book that should cause us to worship because as we read this, we find again and again and again the inhabitants of heaven and earth are moved to worship Him who sits on the throne forever and ever. Amen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is a book of recaps. It's a book of recapitulation. Capitulation. That's where the, we get the word recap, recapitulation. I'm getting super smart, super smart. And um, it's like, um, you know, when you're watching sport, you know how you guys all know how much I love sport and I love basketball and I love all those sports that you guys watch. And when, um, you, you know, you're watching the game and there's a particularly good shot, you know, there's like an alley-oop, alley-oop, and the guy's like, whoa, that was amazing. And the, the guy on the TV's like, hey, let's look at that from another angle. When there's a particularly good goal or move or alley-oop, um, I love that move. If I love basketball, that's all I'd be doing. Alley-oop, alley-oop, alley-oop. And it's like, let's look at that from another angle. Let's see the same goal or play and it's shown four or five times from different angles, from different views, from different perspectives. That's the book of Re Revelation. It's a re Many times it shows us something again and again and again, and John says, hey, let's look at that from a different angle. Let's, let's recap that. Let's, let's check another camera angle on that. And he goes back over the same ground and paints a picture from a different dimension. Sometimes you'll see things that you didn't see the first time, and that's the whole point. 
hidden from you in the first act, but when it's repeated, you see something new and fresh. It's not a chronological unfolding in the book. It's often watching the same scene, just from different angles. Revelation's full of the Old Testament. When John writes the book of Revelation, there is more Old Testament in the book of Revelation than anywhere else in the New Testament. It's full of Old Testament illustration, Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament events, Old Testament history. It's just full of Old Testament illustration and metaphor. That's why it's so important for us as New Testament believers to be familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. We can't ignore them. We need to look at the Bible in its fullness. God doesn't have two books. He has one book and they're in separately joined together. I think it was Augustine that said, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And it's super hard to come to terms with Revelation in any meaningful way if we're not familiar with Old Testament scriptures. One of the things we need to appreciate about the New Testament church is it was stacked in Old Testament scripture. It was their missionary Bible. It was the only Bible that they had. I think in this series, we picked that up again and again and again. And so, you know, when Paul writes to Timothy, he can say things like, since a child, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. As far as they were concerned, you could get saved by faith in Christ through the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that Apollos proved the scriptures, proved from the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures at the time, that Jesus was the Christ. The whole of the New Testament finds its root and inspiration in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus himself made, made this really clear. He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you believe that you have eternal life. But these scriptures testify of me. On the Emmaus Road, when the two disciples were sad because Jesus was crucified, he says to them in, in verse 25 in Luke 24, he says, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Was, not, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the, thing, the things concerning himself. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Revelation does obviously touch about things that are clearly not about Jesus, but they're there to show that they pale in significance. They lose their horror. They lose their darkness and fear in the light of him who is truly the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's all about Jesus. We read earlier a portrait of Jesus in Revelation 1 where it says, The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in, his, in a furnace. Refined in his furnace. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in his furnace. Remember, remember that phrase. It's awesome and stirring and remarkable. And Revelation has two major contexts of Jewish history that form the basis of this book. Israel's slavery in Egypt and their bondage in Babylon. The Egypt scene appears again and again and again in Revelation. And the great antagonist towards the people of God that we get at the end of the book is Babylon, the great prostitute. 
Egypt and Babylon form part of the basis of which this book is written. And that's why understanding the Old Testament is needed because you can't approach the old, or the new, the new Testament. That's why, uh, sorry, rewind. That's why approaching the book of Revelation, it, it's important to understand the Old Testament scriptures. And there are a few verses that help us understand how God viewed the time that his people spent in Egypt that I w- just want to pull out. Remember the phrase that his, his, his feet were like bronze f- that were glowing in a furnace. Like uh, uh, feet that were glowing in a furnace. How, how many times can I talk about feet? Anyway, Moses speaking in Deuteronomy 4.20, it says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt. God looked at their time of slavery as an iron furnace a time of pressure, a time of intense heat, a time of great persecution. In 1 Kings 8.51, Solomon prays and he says, Your people, your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Jeremiah 11.4, God reminds Jeremiah of this and he says, I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. And it's difficult for us to imagine the intensity of of this kind of metaphor. The, The cruelty the unbearable pressure. In Jeremiah 11.4, it says God reminds Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 11.4, God reminds Jeremiah of this, I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. And it's difficult for us to imagine the intensity and the cruelty of this metaphor, the unbearable pressure that this would have been on the people, the iron furnace. You can almost feel the heat. You can almost smell the smoke. You can almost get choked on the flame. It was a time of terrible oppression. And God himself likened the time that the people spent in Egypt to a time in a furnace. Egypt had been an iron furnace. Babylon had been a furnace of affliction. But when John sees Jesus, he looks from his white snowy hair all the way down to his feet and he notices this. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. He's speaking to his people under persecution and facing death and all kinds of pressure at the time. And he's saying to them, all right, guess what? I've taken the heat. It's all right. I've come down and been in the place where you've been. I've come down into the furnace of your despair. Look at my feet. They've been in the furnace where you've been. Look at my feet. I've come down to the furnace of your harm. I've come down to the furnace of your heat. And I'll bring you out. He stepped down into the furnace of Egypt. He stood in the midst of his people. And if you know anything about that story, you know that he brought them out of captivity. And he says to us, through this picture, I believe that in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, under whatever pressure we find ourselves in, whatever furnace we feel we are living in, however hot it's getting, Jesus says, I'm with you. And I'm with you to bring you out. I'm with you to save you. I'm with you to deliver you. I'm sure there are many more um, acceptable theological reasons of why Jesus had feet that were glowing like a furnace. But I like this one. I like to know that when it's too hot to handle... Where I am, Jesus is there with me. And that's his message here to the church in the first century. He says, hey guys, it's going to get tough. 
but I'm tougher. He said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. The Bible is full of persecution. It's full of difficulty. And Jesus made a promise, you will have trouble. But then he goes on to say, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I am with you. I have overcome the world. Nadia you know, opened up the, the, the subject of lament to us. It, there are things that we're going to lament. There are things that we're going to go through. There are oppressions, there are persecutions, there are furnaces that you and I are going to go through. But as I look at Jesus in Revelation, as I look from his white snowy hair all the way down to his feet, I see that he's been where I've been. He's walked in my shoes and he is with me in the furnace. He is beside me. He is before me. He is behind me. He is above me. He is beneath me. He is carrying me. He is taking the heat for me. And I know that everything is going to be okay. But there are things that we are going to need to overcome. This book is written for overcomers. You don't need to be an overcomer if there's nothing to overcome. And when Jesus challenges us to overcome, it gives me a strong clue that there's going to be stuff out there that I'm going to face that isn't going to be a cakewalk that I'm going to need him on, that I'm going to need to walk with him on, I'm going to need to rely on him with, I'm going to need to lean on him with, I'm going to need to give to him, I'm going to need to lay down at his feet. Because we know that Paul says that all things work together for those who love God. But he goes on to say, to those, a call, to those called according to his pur- purpose. We need to know that we're called. If you don't know that you've been called according to his purpose, if you don't know that you've been called into a kingdom with a divine destiny to fulfill, if we don't understand that every problem, then every pressure, then every disappointment that comes our way will become a stumbling block when he wants it to become a stepping stone of progress alongside him. Jesus appears in glory at the opening chapter because he wants us to know that I was dead, but now I am alive forever and ever. I've been where you've been. I felt what you felt and I've overcome it all. And because I live, you also will live. For grave, where is your victory? For death, where is your sting? Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, we will also live. No matter what comes our way, no matter what's thrown at us, no matter what furnace we find ourselves in, this book reminds me that he is the king of kings and that he's on the throne, that he wins, and because he ultimately wins, we win. And because he ultimately is victorious, we are victorious. He's coming back. The early church had an anticipation that Jesus would return. And not only would he return, but he would return victorious. Riding on the cloud with the armies of heaven behind him. To a bride, to a church that has made herself ready. And who is also victorious. I don't believe that he's coming back in what we call the rapture to a church that's cowering or hiding or, or, or fearful in a corner. But he's coming back to a church full of life, without spot or wrinkle, ready for the return of the king. And I want to encourage you today that as you read the book of Revelation and as you read the whole of Scripture, as you read the whole thing, the narrative is this, that he is calling a people back to himself. He is making his church, his bride ready to come back to, to be joined with forever and ever in eternity. And guess what? 
He is victorious. He's not coming back to a bride that's just hanging on for dear life on the cliff. You know, just waiting for Jesus to catch us. But no, he's coming back to a bride who is victorious, who can stand tall, who is with him because of what he's done on the cross. He has crushed his enemy under his feet. And that is the Jesus and God we serve. I want to encourage you today not to be those who occasionally dip in and out of the scriptures. Not to be those who, you know, now and again read a passage of the Word of God. But I want to encourage you to be real students of the Word of God. To be those who are hungry for revelation. Not just the book of Revelation. And I hope, you know, as we've unpacked it today, just a few popcorn points and things that I took as I was reading the book of Revelation but to be those who read the whole entirety of Scripture because as we've seen today, it's important that we hold the old and the new together as one book. The new can only be truly read when we understand the old and and the old can be only truly understand when we understand His grace and His mercy and we understand the themes and the threads and as you read the Word, you will find a wonderful oneness throughout Scripture that He is in all of it, that it's all about Jesus. In fact, you find Jesus in the Old Testament. They're called Christophanes, if you want to look that up. He's in it all. He was at the very beginning. He is, he is right at the beginning of, the, uh, at, of time. In the Word was the beginning. And, and we see that right in Genesis all the way through to Revelation that his son would have preeminence and, and, and that includes the Bible, that he would have preeminence in the Word of God. When I come to the Bible, I pray a little prayer that says, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things because I know that his Word gives light. Psalm 119 says it gives understanding to the simple. I love that. You know, I'm a simple guy. I like simple things. You know, I like alley-oops. Aliyup, did that the Aliyup? Aliyup? <laughs> More like uh that's like Beyonce. Um <laughs> Wow. Um I like simple things and and his word gives understanding to people like you and me who maybe, you know, aren't scholars. You don't have to be an academic, you don't have to be a scholar. You just have to be a servant hungry to hear the voice of the Lord, full of faith, coming to the word every single day because it's our life it gives us life and it gives us an understanding of who he is in order to fully worship him in all he deserves if we only read one part and see that he's our father and our friend that's great but then we miss out the bits to understand that he's the king of kings and lord of lords if we only read one part in, in about the red sea we miss out that the fact that in the new testament it talks about how the red sea is is a picture of our baptism in water there's so many things that are connected and it's just amazing i could go on and on and on but i've been so excited to go through this whole series and it's been an honor to be able to wrap it up with this book of revelation and some of Some people have been texting me like, oh, you've drawn the short straw with the book of Revelation. But I hope you've seen today that it wasn't the short straw, that it gives us phenomenal pictures, that it's all about Jesus. If you can take away one thing about the book of Revelation, that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And 
that ultimately he's coming back and he wins. He's won, that he is victorious, and he's coming back to a bride that is victorious. You may be watching this and you don't know Jesus. I believe Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life. I believe that the whole of history revolves around him and that we find our purpose, we find um, what we're truly meant to be in him and him alone, that we can find any other fulfillment outside of Jesus. Yes, some things we can, you find small bits of fulfillment here and there, but ultimately the void that fills our, our, our hearts and our souls can only be filled by Jesus. In the Bible, it says that Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to God is through me. And Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could have a relationship with God. The whole, the whole story of the Bible is of a people that are coming back into relationship with God. Where we were with Him in glorious, glorious friendship in the garden. We lost that because sin and, and our and, and what we wanted to do came on the scene. It broke that relationship. So the whole of scripture came to a point where, where God said, I'm sending my one and only son so that they could have a relationship with me again, a friendship with me again, like I had with them in the garden where I walked with them, where I talked with them, that those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who believe that he died on the cross for them, who, who confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord, can have eternal life and not only have eternal life but be filled with with his goodness with his peace with his love here on earth so i'm going to pray a prayer i'm going to say a line and i'm just going to encourage you to pray that same line and after we're done i'm going to say amen and when you say amen that's you accepting jesus into your life and so it goes like this jesus i thank you that you died on the cross for me I thank you that you loved me so much, that you gave your life for me. And today, I ask that you give me your peace, that you give me your love as I give you my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you love me so much that you gave your life for me. And so today, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got people standing by. We'd love to journey with you on this new adventure of becoming a Christian. We believe that it's a together thing, that being a Christian isn't something that you have to do on your own, that you can do this together with others in the church with other believers. So please let us know in a chat if you wanna just click the prayer button. We have people standing by that would love to share next steps. Other than that, see you next week, church. Have a great, great week.